Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to get going a little bit here this morning. Man, I'm so glad you're here. And for those that are uh, visiting us uh, online, thank you so much for uh, checking us out live stream. And uh, yes, if you're watching live stream and you're like, wait a minute, did I get the wrong station? There's a guy in a suit up there. No, you're right. Stay on, stay on, stay on the station. You're okay. You're all right. It's good to see everybody. I've loved this series on favorite verses. Uh, you know, Trent t- talked to us about the God's close to the brokenhearted. Last week we looked at Philippians 4:13 about I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What a great verse! And of course, this verse in Romans chapter eight, uh, it uh, it just kept coming up. You know, out of the when we asked for input from you uh, and others about what's your favorite verses, this verse came up all the time. Romans 8:28. And uh, about God, you know, doing so much for us and working so much. Uh, guys, let's go to that next slide there. There we go. Uh, what, what I want us to understand is that everything that happens, God uh, does on purpose. There was a guy, he, uh, his, his buddy started a new, opened up a new restaurant. He wanted to, uh, uh, you know, send some uh, flowers and go to the opening and ribbon cutting and all that. So when he gets there... Uh, he's looking for what he sent, and all of a sudden what he sent is not, not, not what it was supposed to be. It was a big wreath that said, rest in peace. And so he immediately got on the phone, went out to the florist, and he starts calling him, you know, and said, hey, look, y'all guys sent the wrong one. And, and, and the florist said, look, Bob, I'm not worried about you right now because I've got a guy somewhere fixing to be buried with a dozen roses that says, good luck on your new location. <laughs> well, you know... Humans make mistakes. We have accidents. Those take place. God, He does things on purpose. Little Susie's in the living room playing with her little brother Joe, and and uh, he accidentally hits her across the face. She runs into the kitchen to tell mom, right? You got to tell. You got to run in there and tell. He hit me. He hit me. And he comes running in behind her, saying, "I didn't do it." On. You got purpose. When we tend to think on purpose is a negative thing, that there's some bad intentions there. But God does things on purpose. And He wants us to live on purpose. And we get kind of taken away from that. And the only way that starts, that all starts in the purpose of the gospel. It all starts how God planned before the creation of the world, how that He was going to save mankind through the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It all started there. God purposed that. God foreknew that. That God, God planned that. And so in that, there are some things that's going on that's working. Let's, uh, let's look at this verse. Let's read this verse. Uh, matter of fact, let's read this verse together. Okay, would you read it with me? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's his purpose. They gathered up to build the, they were going to, this little community going to build a brand new post office. They, they've never had a new one. And the one they had was falling down and they never could get the money. Finally, all of a sudden, they're able to do it. They put everything into it. They've got, I mean, it's brick. It's you know, inside. The paint's great. The lighting's perfect. Everything is situated. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. They come to the ribbon cutting. They all walk up there and one man realizes 
They forgot one thing. The slot for the mail. They forgot their purpose. And how many of us go through life like that? We get caught up in everything else around us. We forget our purpose. We don't stay on purpose. God doesn't do that. He's always on purpose. He never gets taken off his game on what he's trying to accomplish. Now Romans 8, 28. Let's go to the next slide, guys, and let's read this whole section. People's favorite verse because they see God doing something great in their life. And he says here that in Romans 8, we know that in all things God works for the good. God is working. Now look, it's like that. It's like a, a tapestry. It's like a weaver who takes and, and weaves something that's going to be beautiful, but he takes all your circumstances, he takes all your choices, and he weaves it into something beautiful. What, what's that pattern going to look like? We're going to find out through this verse. Look, he says that God, God does this. For those who love him. Always starts with the greatest command there, right? Who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Let's talk about this a minute. Because a lot of times when people get in this part of the verse, they get all wrapped up in predestination, foreknowledge, those words, when actually the word they really ought to be forming in on is two words, purpose and image. That's the most important here. But when he, when he lays this out, look. Well, let's explain it. I want to bring you up to how Paul comes about to write this. Now, if we miss the fact that God is writing this to suffering Christians to give them confidence, if we miss that fact that he's writing about the Christian experience, we'll miss everything. Paul's not writing this verse to give you a theology on, on, uh, of, of Calvinism, of Arminian, or any other of these theologies and philosophies that go around. He's not writing this verse to give you a theology or a philosophy. He's writing this verse to give confidence to Christians who are sitting there suffering and saying, you know what, no matter what my suffering is, in glory, it's going to be worth it because I'm going to be like Jesus. That's what he's telling them. He's wanting them to have confidence in how they live. So don't get wrapped up all into the theological things that people take this somewhere to. Way farther than it was ever intended, by the way. Paul had a mission when he wrote this. Now, let's take back. Matter of fact, let's just go back and see the content. Let the, let's just go back. Let's just do the whole book of Romans. You want to? I mean, you know, that's just a small book. It won't take long. Romans chapter 1. You thought I was kidding, didn't you? Romans chapter 1, he says, I love these folks, Paul says. Now, you know, it's not quite like that, but, you know, uh, I, I love these folks. I love what you're doing. I remember who you are. I'm grateful. And in verse 16 and 17, he sets the theme of the whole book. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who, what, believes, for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, everybody. So the gospel is the power to save. The gospel saves. Now, the gospel does something else. Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So there's something, a curtain is pulled back, and something about God is revealed when the gospel comes on the scene. When the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus happens in time, there's a revealing, there's a pulling back of the curtain that says, I want to show you some things about the righteousness of God that you hadn't realized. 
And you look at the gospel and say, oh, that's how he saved Abraham. That's how he saved David when it looked like he didn't know how he was going to be saved. Wow. So the gospel is saves and the gospel reveals something about God. Now we need it because we had this problem. We had a sin problem. We had a life problem. We had a grave problem, right? In chapter uh, one, uh, in chapter one, nineteen through uh, uh, three twenty, three, uh, he says, "Look, the Jew has sinned, the Gentile has sinned, the moral man, pagan man, everybody's sinned. The wages of sin is death." Now, look, man's guilty because he sinned. I'm not guilty because Adam sinned. I'm not guilty because my dad sinned. I'm guilty because I sinned. And not only did I break God's law, I broke God's heart, you see. Now Ezekiel 18 verse 20 says, Look, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The soul that sins, it dies. So, now we're all impacted by sin, but we're not guilty of it till we commit it. And so everybody does this, so there's this sin problem. Now in chapter 321 through 521, he says, here's how you take care of that. By faith in the story of Jesus. You have a faith like Abraham, a faith like David. You have that kind of faith in the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That will give you hope. Matter of fact, when you have that, chapter 5, you'll have access, you'll have peace, your character will grow, you'll build it. And while you were still, chapter 5, Paul said, while you were yet ungodly, Christ died for you. Wow. Even when God looked down and saw me being under, he said, Christ died for me. That's how much he loves me. We're saved by faith, Romans 4 says, an Abraham kind of faith, now get this, who, who calls, he says he trusted in a God who calls things that are not as though they already were. For knowing, acting, working together. That's the kind of God we have. Well, after we realize we're saved by faith, he says, now look, now that you're saved and justified by faith in Christ, now live holy. So chapter 6, verse chapter through chapter 8 of Romans is about sanctification. So he says, and he gives three illustrations in chapter 6. He said, look at your baptism. Don't you remember when you were baptized, you said, I'm, I'm dying that old man of sin. I'm not going to live like that. I'm going to live anew. And then he gives a slavery illustration. He said, you used to be slaves of sin, now you're slaves of God. Then in chapter 7, he gives a marriage illustration. He said, just like that woman, when her husband dies, she's no longer bound. Well, you, when you've died to sin, you're no longer bound to that old law of sin and death anymore. You have freedom in Christ. And so you still wrestle, Paul says, with that back and forth thing. I do things I don't want to do. But then, oh, wretched man I am. But hey, thanks be to God. Look what I have in Christ. That leads to chapter 8 where he says, oh, I love chapter 8. You've got to read it every day. He says, look, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have been set free from the law of sin and death. There's, man, I am no longer condemned. I am a co-heir with Jesus. I'm going to inherit whatever he inherits. I have the Spirit of God living in me to help me live right. And, I, and, and even though there's tough times and there's groaning and there's hard times, there's still someone I can trust. And look here, there's three things that groan in chapter 8. The creation groans, waiting for God's people to be revealed. Believers groan because they can't figure it out. They're suffering. They're, and the Spirit groans as He prays for you because you don't even know the words to take up to heaven. And out of all that, then He comes to this verse and says, Hey, we know something. It's not that we hope it's true. It's not that it might happen. We know something. What is it we know? We know, without a doubt, that God it works all things to our good. He's not making things happen outside the fact that He is creating for God's people 
a picture of what Jesus looks like. He wants you and me to look like Christ. Now God, he foreknew, he knew how to plan the gospel to save mankind. And he did it before the creation of the world. And he calls us by that gospel, Paul says, when we hear that message. And it justifies us. As a matter of fact, he even says this verse, and we're glorified, and he uses it past tense even though it hadn't happened yet. Now, the sovereignty of God, God reigning over everything, blankets before time, during, and after. And as the sovereignty of God rules, and as he works within that, by the way, the reason everything hadn't been decided, otherwise God wouldn't be working. Got that? God is doing something. He is active. He's working. Now, he knows what happens, but he works with it. God's sovereignty, there's always tension between God's sovereignty and man's free will to choose. Because we get in those questions, did, did God make that happen? And you know, it bothers me when people try to defend God. A little kid dies and somebody says, God just wanted another angel. No, he didn't. Where does that come from? Find the verse on that one. No, that's, that's, that's hurtful, and it's harmful, and it breaks people's hearts. And it breaks God's heart, too, you see. When someone is murdered, it breaks God's heart that that sin exists. Look, God does not author and cause sin. He cannot. It's against His character. And I'll tell you, I'll preach against it any day. You do not blame evil on God. He doesn't cause it. But I'll tell you what He can do. He can bend it. He can, take the, he can take the decisions man makes. He can take the evil that exists in the world and, and the message that we make and he can bend those to benefit, the Bible says, those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. His purpose will not go undone. Look, God can do that. Now, there's tension between the sovereignty of God and man's choice. Someone said, well, Mike, now are you more Calvin or are you more Armenian? You know, what are you? I mean, can the sovereignty of God exist and free will uh, exist? Uh, how can, which one of those are you? The answer, yes. Yeah. Because the, so- the tension exists between the sovereignty of God and man's choice. Our problem is, in our own lack of human wisdom, we think we've got to solve the tension. We think we have to settle it in our minds, how God works. i got news for you. We don't know everything about how God works. But we do know the God who works. And that's more important. See, understand something. Sovereignty of God is like a big blanket that lays over humanity. From before time began to last. I remember standing all night at my uncle's house in the wintertime. Big old thick blankets laying across you and hanging way down over the edge. See, I learned a long time ago, it's the hangover that keeps you warm. Right? 
And God's sovereignty lays over all of humanity before time and after time. And God works out what's best for us. Now, what is he really predestined? What's the verse say? The verse says he predestines us for something. What is it? To be conformed to the, here's the word, image. You and I were made in the image of God. And God, matter of fact, God, is, God took chaos and made something good, the creation, right? And God took, God took uh, dirt and he made man and said, that's really good. Now, by the way, I'm not into calling what God says good, bad. Understand? God said that's a good thing. You're made in the image of God. Now, sin tarnishes that image and God recreates again all over through the gospel and brings you back into his image once again. And you cannot and will not stop that purpose of God. Your call and my call to God does not start with me. My relationship with God did not start with me. I don't call on God. God calls me first. God calls me through the gospel. Paul says it this. That call comes through God. I respond to that call. Those that love God respond to that call, you see. That's where, that's where the gospel plays. That's what the gospel does. It calls people's hearts to him. Remember in Acts 2, the very first sermon there is preached, and he says, preaches the story of, the Jesus, of Jesus. And after he preaches, that, 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 message, that message calls men, and hearts are pricked. And they said, what do we do? Repent and be baptized for mission of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, which is a verse we don't go into, this promise is not just for you. It's for all those, all those, this next generation, the next generation, all those who God will We didn't even know the word calls in that verse, did you? God calls us through the gospel. And so that good news of the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the heart of everything God does and reveals about himself to mankind. When something happens in your life and you can't explain it, when the flood washes everything, when you see your stuff floating down the Washtenaw River and somebody wants to blame it on God or you go to the doctor and he uses the C word to describe your condition and your world falls apart or you get a call from somebody at your husband's job and an accident's happened and they've rushed him to the hospital. We're not arguing that God predetermined this, are we? No. We're calling on God because he says we can do this and I'll be there for you. And God takes that and he works it and weaves it like that master weaver. You know what he does with it? He helps us conform to the image of his son. You and I have been predestined to look like Jesus. And one day he'll finish that in the end. And we'll look just like him.
1 John says we'll have a body like his, even though right now we don't know what it's like. It's all back to the heart of the gospel. God works amazing things. And look, God God doesn't do good to everything we do. From our viewpoint of what good is. I'm looking for an instant goodness to come to my life. God, make this good for me. God is not about that as much as he's about the ultimate good that makes me look like Jesus. See, the groaning that I'm going through in my suffering, it's not that I need my groaning to be discontinued as, I must, as much as I need God to take my groaning and help, help mold me to look like Jesus through those situations. That's what God does. God works all things, weaves it in and out to take us as his people and make us look like his son. And he decided that before one thing was ever created. And you will not stop God's purpose. God doesn't get off purpose. He stays on. Now, God foreknowing and me foreknowing is a little different. I have foreknowledge too, by the way. I know you didn't know that I was special like that. I foreknow some things, and I'm pretty good at it. I mean, I can say, I can, I can tell you some things. I, I, I foreknow that the sun will come up and the sun will go down. And you know what? I've been right every time so far. But my foreknowing something is based on experience of what I've seen. God foreknowing something is not based on it. God's foreknowing something is based on what he knows he can work through. And I can't see that. God does. But I can be grateful for it. So when I'm in this, in this present time of suffering, Paul says to these Christians in Rome... I mean, what do they really need to hear? What verses do they need to have? They've been going through this thing. Oh, well, I'll tell you what they need to know. is that look, God is working to make you look like Jesus, and he planned it from the beginning, and he won't get off target. So therefore, you can, man, you can be excited and you can celebrate how God works in your life. Well, thank you for the one person that realized that. <laughs> Look, take this statement with you. Don't lose the good of a bad experience. You got it? Don't lose the good of a bad experience. So we're driving down, driving down the road late at night. We're headed to a banquet with... Me and my date's in the back seat. My buddy, he's wearing his car. He's driving. He's, my cousin's his date. We come over a hill. The ice hadn't melted. We didn't realize it. We hit that ice. And boy, here we go. Car turns. Next thing we know, we hit a concrete thing. We flip over upside down. We land in a creek water in it. I'd already pulled her back to the back and held her down in the back seat in, uh, uh, during the thing. And, and all of a sudden, but the driver, he hit his head so hard three or four different ways, concussion, you know, he didn't know where he was. He crawled out of the car. He was just like, just didn't know what happened. 
My, my, I got my cousin out of the car, took her over to the side, and there was a light over there nearby. When I got her under the light, I could just see in her skull, her nose was cut up, her chin, just terrible. And I look at her, and I'm kind of like this, and she's looking at me, and she, she's like, is this a dream? I said, no, 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 Patty, it's be okay. We'll be all right. She's like, what's wrong with you? I didn't know anything was wrong with me. My head was all split open, that blood down the side of my face. We came out, and well, you, you, you know, you're teenagers. We had, a, we had a special Christmas concert the next day. Well, this guy and I, we played ball together, but we were also in the band together. And I had a trumpet solo, and he had a, he had a solo on the, on the drum, on the timpani. So, so I get, they go to the hospital. I, you know, I, of course, I'm not even worried. I'm thinking they're going to be fine. They go up, they're laid up in the hospital. All of them but me, I go home, I grab my trumpet, I say, I sit, I can play that thing, my mouth's busted up inside, I can't play, I'm spitting blood everywhere, I mean, you know, I can't do this. So I go up there the next morning, stitches all over me, I walk into the band room, and the band director says, oh, okay, come here, i got an idea. You know, he didn't say, how are you doing, you know, he, I mean, he, he went straight to, let's make something happen. And so uh, he said, here's what we're going to do, Daryl's going to play your part on, the, on that right there, and I want you to get back there on those timpani, you're going to learn this drum solo. So yeah, you can learn. So I get back there and I practice and I learn that thing. We go on and the concert goes great and everybody nobody really knows any much anything much different. He orchid, he orchestrated the happenings there within his group to produce what he wanted to produce anyway. Look, God is taking things that happen in life and orchestrating them and working them out to produce the sound and the harmony and the image of Jesus all the time. We don't even see it. But when it happens, we're excited about it. That's the power. That's the power of the gospel. It's the power of God. Let, let me read you a, this section of 29 and 30 in the the message because it just to me it summarizes this section so good. God knew what he was doing from the beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. I love that. It's that picture of how God, no wonder this is people's favorite verse. That God will take, can take everything in my life as his child and mold it and shape it for his purpose, which has already been destined, which means I'll look like Jesus Christ when it's all over. And who wouldn't want to look like Jesus? Wow. That's the power of God. And I'm sure glad he does it because when I try to orchestrate things, I mess them up pretty good. But God foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, and he glorified. That's the process 
of God fulfilling his purpose. And he writes that to these people. Why? To give them a theology or a philosophy? No. He writes it to them to give them confidence that their life is taken care of in the hand of God. Well, here's what I want you to take home. First of all, we learned this when we were kids, right? God is great. God is... He really is. God is great. And God is good. Second thing I want us to remember. It's who you know, not what you know. I'm not someone who gains great insight to God by what I know. My greatest insight comes when I know who He is. Paul said it this way in Timothy, talking about suffering for the gospel. He says, that's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause of shame because I know whom I have believed in and am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. I know whom I believe in. It's who you know. And then he challenges us to live life on purpose. Now, because we are human, we can't get off purpose. We can't get off course. God doesn't. But he's designed this life to grow us, to look and make decisions that will help us become more like Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful, beautiful thing that is. And what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to stand. And I want to read a section of Romans. This last section that starts in verse 31. Now, Paul does this throughout the book of Romans, by the way. He'll teach something uh, here, and then he'll have a little section or a paragraph that's more lyrical. You know what I understand about lyrical? It's more like a psalm, or it's more like poetry. And this is what he does here. He's not, as a matter of fact, he really even starts this back with this verse in 28. This is much more of a lyrical writing than it is an a, 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 a in-depth thing, okay? So he writes this in response to all these things about you living holy and you're free in Christ. There's no condemnation. The Spirit's with you even when you're groaning and having tough times. But look, God works. He's designed it. He's, you're not going to get him off his purpose. And so then he ends with this great lyrical section at the end of eight. Listen to God's word. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up uh, for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring charge, any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised alive. Here's the gospel. Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, 
neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. 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 You have a great God who's working on your behalf. Enjoy Him, the joy of the Lord, and know He's there taking care of you. If you want to get in on that great God, the gospel message is yours. The same as it was in Acts 2, to repent and be baptized. Respond, react to the grace of God, embrace the grace of God. And walk out of here a brand new person. Or maybe you've gotten off track. Now, God didn't get off track. But we do sometimes. Get back on purpose. Living for God. If you have a need, would you come while we sing this song?